staccato handguns are trusted and approved by over 900 elite law enforcement agencies, including 65 SWAT teams. When it comes to accuracy and reliability, the choice is easy with staccato. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to Policing Matters on PoliceOne.com. I'm your host, Jim Dudley. Be sure to check out our video versions of the Policing Matters podcast on YouTube or on PoliceOne.com. Responder Wellness Week in March 27th through the 31st. It's a week-long collection of coverage and activities under the theme of the Resilient Responder. If you've been checking in during that week at uh, Police One, you've seen us talk about uh, all kinds of things to help you get to the job better, be better off duty, and live a long, strong life. Have you visited the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial in Washington, D.C.? I have, and it is a moving experience. They put on programs and seminars for the public safety partners across the board, the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial and Fund. Some of the examples of the topics have been physical fitness, sleep and fatigue, nutrition and eating, mental health. Healthy coping strategies inclusive of relationships to include spouses, families, peers, and clinicians. Well, our guest today is Troy Anderson, the Executive Director of the Officer Safety and Wellness uh, at the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial and Fund. Troy began his career in law enforcement more than 30 years ago as a U.S. Army military police officer and served in combat operations in the Middle East. Uh, He has an extensive career, served in patrol as a resident state trooper, detective, and internal uh, affairs investigator. You can read more about his bio in our show notes. He's been on the program before. Welcome back to Policing Matters, Troy Anderson. Thanks for having me, Jim. Appreciate it. So in what ways is uh, National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial and Fund, we'll call it the NLEOMF after this, helping to advance the officer safety wellness initiatives throughout the country. Yeah, well, we really have a cradle to the grave philosophy here, right? So when we're looking at officer safety and wellness, especially as we look at the wellness and resilience aspect of it, it's really a holistic approach. So it's a, it's a mind, body, and spirit. So we look at the psychological piece, we look at the physical piece, we look at the financial piece, uh, the spiritual components to it, as well as the financial piece, because we know that that's a big piece. So as we're looking at our programs, our main mission is to make it safer for those who serve and to keep the names off the memorial walls. But sometimes it, there needs to be more to it. And that's really, as we look at putting these programs together, as we look at officers who come onto the job, uh, presumably very healthy mentally and physically, we are looking at ways to help them get through that career, but not just to get through the career. But as you, you so eloquently put in the beginning of the show during the opening, it's really about having a, a fruitful career, but it's, it's about after the career as well. Be able to enjoy your retirement. To, uh, to live long and prosper as they used to say on Star Trek, right? Like this is really our approach. Our approach is to bring the most comprehensive programs that we can, evidence-based best practice programs. And we do that through a number of, of, of different uh, forums and venues and platforms. We, we look at, it, when we're looking at the wellness piece, there's really a couple, we have a number of programs in officer safety and wellness, some geared more towards tr- safety, whether it be traffic safety or that sort of thing, looking at emerging technologies and that sort of thing. That's one component. 
But the other piece are two other programs that we have, one being Safe Leo. We work with IRR, the Institute for Intergovernmental Research. It's a BJA program that we are providing training and, and resources. Safe Leo is suicide awareness for law enforcement. So we're looking to bring awareness, not just to the topic of law enforcement suicide, which this conversation continues all the time, but it's not just about bringing awareness to it. It's about, it's about understanding suicidal ideation. It's about understanding resources. And sometimes it's about making a very difficult decision, which anybody who has been in the, in the wellness uh, or, or EAP or peer support, anybody who's been in that circle knows that it's a very, very difficult situation when an officer either because they had the courage to step up and ask for help, or they found themselves in a position where um, they're getting help against their will. It's a very difficult, it's a difficult approach and, and it's a sensitive topic. So we wanna bring awareness, not just to the rank and file around the country, but administrators and trainers uh, we really need to let folks know that suicide in law enforcement is a very real thing. In fact, I just wrote a piece on this recently. Uh, it's very real. And more people are going to die by suicide in law enforcement in this country than will die in the line of duty. So this is, a, it's, this is something that we need to talk about. But it's about bringing those numbers down to zero because zero is the only number that's acceptable. So that's, that's really one of our approaches. The other approach is Destination Zero, which is a program that's been around for a number of years. And that is where we are looking at programs from around the country. And when I talk about best practice programs, I would encourage anybody who's listening or watching this to go to nleomf.org, go to Officer Safety and Wellness and take a look at our library of resources. But once you get to Destination Zero, you will see a robust list of, of things, everything from technical assistance briefings that, that maybe let's say a supervisor in the field might show a five minute clip for his officers before they go out. Um, uh, go out on patrol. It's a real, it's a, it's a really an in-service opportunity, and I think that people should take better advantage of that. I know that agencies are using them, uh, but more should because the education is incredibly important. Um, but especially around officer safety and wellness. And then, uh, and then there's just there's so much there's so much offered there. I would encourage, uh, like I said, for people to go on there, really take a look at what we have because this is an opportunity for agencies around the country. Um, to, to really showcase their good work. And you will see some amazing work, whether it be through peer support work, chaplaincy work, uh, integration of EAPs and embedded clinicians, uh, really just so much information on there, um, ways to make your agency better, but it's more importantly than waiting for an agency to do it for you, because some agencies, maybe if you're in a rural area and you have a smaller department and not a lot of financial resources, this is something that each individual officer can, can do today. Go on there and look at some of those things and, and really take to heart some of those suggestions because you need to be an officer in order to successfully navigate through this career. You need to be well. And it's that holistic wellness approach that we look at. It's not, it's not just good enough that you're in great physical shape, because if you're not in, a, in good psychological shape, um, we know that that can be obviously very detrimental, not just to you as an individual, but to the agency and the community. Yeah, and we've seen some really good examples of everything you just talked about recently. Uh, I've done podcasts uh, with... Um, Wisconsin uh, and and some of the things they're doing there and, and the multi uh, support uh, strategies that you just talked about uh, 
chaplain, getting strong fit in the gym and also the mental health support. And we just had your Destination Zero award winner from last year, uh, Sheriff Dirksy from Stanislaw County, talk about his program at his agency. All good stuff. Mm -hmm. Hey, shifting back a little bit back, uh, to suicide. Now we know that firearms and then uh, traffic accidents or traffic incidents are the number one, two back and forth of the, the main killers of law enforcement agencies from year to year. Uh, you talk about suicide, you know, distancing those. Uh, we really need to get into evidence-based research when it comes to those support programs that you talked about as well. Have you found that the agencies have better success? I don't know what the gauge would be, but on outreach rather than being reactive and waiting till someone came to them. Have you noticed a difference? I don't know that I've necessarily noticed a difference. And I think that that would really be on a sort of case-by-case -case basis. But agencies, I think, that are proactive uh, and really keeping up with the trends and keeping up with the best practice programs that are available today, they seem to be better positioned. And I think as we look at part of that better positioning and one of the the topics that whenever you talk to a law enforcement administrator, one of the things that keeps them up at night is recruitment and retention. So if you have an agency, that is a benefit. If you have a wellness program, if you have a robust wellness program, and you can look at some around the nation that you can find on Destination Zero, just phenomenal programs. And that is a resource when you're recruiting and retaining folks um, because it's difficult. I, I, I can think back when I applied to the, to the state police in 1992, there were 11,800 people that applied for 80 jobs. If there were 80 positions open today, I think you'd be lucky to get 1,000 people that would apply. So I, I, think it, I think as agencies are looking to do more for their folks, and this is, wellness is not, and I think about peer support as an example. I talk to agencies around the country that are interested in, in sort of the implementation of the peer support program, but there's always that sustainability question. How can we keep this going? How can we keep it funded? And when you look at that, it, it doesn't cost a lot of money to build a peer support program. These are folks that are already in your agency for the majority, unless you have somebody a dedicated full-time position. These are people that, that do this as an ancillary job. So they're not getting paid anymore to do it. You do have to bring in some training, but there's some amazing community-based resources. We have resources as well through Destination Zero. We can help you make connections. So as you start to see and think about some of these programs out there, the worst thing I think that law enforcement agencies do when confronted with something like, let's say, a wellness program is to try to reinvent the wheel. It doesn't make sense to do that because it's already been created and it's been duplicated and replicated across the country so many times that there's a number of nuances and variations in all of these programs. So the best thing to do is look at some of these programs, especially ones with longevity and some that are that uh, have some data and statistics to back up the work that they do. Look at these programs and extrapolate from those programs what will be the best application for your agency. And we can help do that at the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial Fund. That's one of the things that we do. How big is your agency? What are you looking for? You're going to have a full-time position. Once we start to get those questions answered, we can point you towards an agency that, it, that reflects sort of where you are now uh, because they were there then once as well. So that I think that's really, when you look at where we're going and you look at the significance and importance of officer safety and wellness around the nation, now is the time to do it. 
don't wait, don't be that reactive agency. Uh, you know, one of the things as, as I talk to officers around the nation, sometimes it's not a matter of if bad things are gonna happen. It's just a matter of when. So if we get, if we get on this early on, if agencies start today, uh, don't put it off to tomorrow. Start today and, and we would be happy to be a resource for you. We've got so much, so much that you can go through on our website. Yeah, for sure. And in that uh, webinar that we did with Sheriff Dirksy, uh, a lot of people were asking about how do you find the support agencies, a trainer, a mental health professional to come into your department? And rather than reinvent the wheel, uh, they can go to the NLEO MF and find out how to get to, to those resources. Hey, doing a deep dive into the 2022 uh, end of year report shows that 64 officers were shot and killed in the line of duty in 2022, the same number as 2021. Um, then there's an increase of 21% compared with other recent historical norms. How can the officer safety and wellness programs at the NLEO MF lead the charge to continue to help reduce the number of firearms related fatalities in our law enforcement community. And, and that's exactly what we do. So as we look at that statistical data from our organization standpoint, we are the leading authority on the certification of line of duty death for law enforcement around the nation. But it's not enough for us just simply to report out on the data. That's really only the first step. It's significant, but just to report out, we'd be doing a disservice. So we look at the solutions piece to this. So as our OSW team, is examining sort of, if you will, just looking at the anatomy of that report and pulling out all the, all the data and looking at it deeper. We recognize, for example, the, the, the firearms fatalities last year, we saw an uptick as we were looking up an uptick, a trending upward uptick in ambush killings. So we looked at ambush killings. All right, so why are ambush killings happening and how can we avoid this? What are we missing? What resources and technology are out there? How can we bring this together? So what we did was we pulled together a first of its kind firearm survivability summit essentially is what we did. We held it in person and virtually in DC. And before I get going into talking about that, I will let you know that you can both watch, you can view the, the, the entire um, summit on our website. You can view it on there. And there's also a, uh, a solutions report sort of which highlights everything about that, which you can also find on our website. But what we did was we set the stage during that day by bringing in, we opened the day up with ATF director, Stephen Dettelbach. He came and talked about his agency and the resources and some of the issues that they're dealing with which I think a lot of folks in law enforcement around the country may not be thinking about. So really some, some significant pieces from his side of the house. Then we had our executive director of the memorial come in and really drill down more on those statistics to talk about the end of year preliminary data from the fatality report. So that was the second piece of it. We had Chief Brian Gould. He came out from uh, Bristol, Connecticut a very noteworthy case that happened at the end of last year where two of his officers are ambushed and killed in Bristol, Connecticut. <clears throat> so he came down and talked about what it was like to be a law enforcement administrator in the midst of such a tragedy and how do you manage that and how do you take care of your personnel and what's the follow-up to that, which is huge. And maybe even talking about some things of what might we have done differently because there always needs to be a lesson learned piece in anything that we do in law enforcement. And then from there, 
we talked about some of our Destination Zero winners from last year and looked at some amazing programs that they were able to implement even during COVID, they were able to implement some training programs, firearms training to not only increase uh, likelihood of survivability, but also increase tactics and looking at equipment and what can they change. So there's some really interesting stuff that came out of that. We had the FBI uh, came out, Leoka uh, came out, uh, team from the FBI, uh, Stephen Wright came out from the FBI and talked about their data. So those are the law enforcement officers killed and assaulted in the country. And we wanted to look at all of the data because it's not just how many of our officers are being killed by firearm, but how many are being assaulted with a firearm and not dying. So we wanted to look at some of that statistical data as well to get a, a broader view of what our officers are confronting. And then it, to wrap it up, we had a panel discussion that was hosted by uh, the National Policing Institute President Jim Birch, and there was some representatives from IACP and Noble who were also on the panel, and a really robust discussion about what they see from their organization standpoint as key takeaways that, that folks need to know about surviving firearms encounters in law enforcement. So it was really interesting stuff. There was so much information that came out of that. So we took that information, we sort of distilled it down and came up with a report of what those highlights were. So if you don't have the seven hours to, to sit down and watch the entire summit all at once, you can read that report and it really gives you sort of the, the biggest and best lessons learned and takeaways from that, from that event. Uh, I'd encourage everybody to take a look at it, though. Yeah, for sure. And of course, the devil is in the details. And I recently saw a um, a report that showed an increase in the number of uh, 3D printed guns, or we're calling ghost guns, especially in in criminal activity because of mm -hmm. no serial number, no way to trace the the, the uh, firearm back. But uh, also the rise in assaults on police officers with ghost guns. You mentioned that as well. I, we did. In fact, uh, ATF, ATF, ATF Director Dettelback brought that up and was talking about some of their concerns and what they're doing to combat the rise of that and just how uh, how problematic it has been for their organization trying to uh, rally around taking those off the streets and trying to figure out how to uh, really neutralize that threat. So that, that that's a, that's another big part of our report. Great. All right. Uh, I'd like to get a little bit more into the details of what you're doing for law enforcement and their families. But first, I'd like to take a moment and thank our sponsor. Choose the handgun trusted by over 900 law enforcement agencies across the country. With Staccato, you can feel confident knowing you aren't sacrificing incredible accuracy for reliability. Whether you're protecting your family at home or on duty, Staccato has your back. Military and law enforcement receive discount pricing through the Staccato Heroes program. Visit www.staccato2011 backslash heroes program.com to learn more. That's Staccato, S T A C C A T O 2011 backslash heroes program.com. And we're back and I'm speaking with Troy Anderson, the executive director of the Officer Safety and Wellness Program at the National Law Enforcement Officers Museum and Fund. Uh, Troy, what are some of the priority issues that the law enforcement community um, listens and needs to hear from as it relates to officer safety and wellness? 
I think the most important thing, and 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 really right now, I'm I'm not just talking to the to the administrators and commanders and and uh, uh, the supervisors out there. This this really this message goes out to everybody. This matters because you matter, and you've made an investment in your community. Uh, but make the investment in yourself, right? This wellness is. Um, it's a decision. Well, wellness and resilience is a decision. And it's a decision to take care of yourself. And there are so many programs out there. And I think about amazing officers that I've worked with over the years who have been confronted with some professional or personal crisis, and they've been sidelined. And part of that is a decision that wasn't made early on. So I think back when I started in, I started in my law enforcement career, there was no discussion of wellness and resilience. Uh, that, that wasn't a discussion. When you were in the academy, you learned certain things, but that was not one of them. But as time has gone on, and now we see wellness that is being trained into new recruits and folks that are just transitioning into this vocation, we are seeing them becoming more resilient and more and more healthy because they got it early on. What I'm saying is that even if that wasn't part of your initial training and you're a dinosaur like me who was around for a long time, it's never too late to start this. Look around and see what you have and recognize that there are resources available, even if it's just going to a clinician that you can flip over your health insurance card and find the number on the back, go check in with somebody, find a culturally competent clinician and check in, get a baseline, talk a little bit about what's going on. And I think that we don't talk about that enough. I think there's always a very pervasive stigma in law enforcement about talking about wellness. I will say that it has gotten significantly better over the last couple of decades, but it's still there. I think to some extent, there will always be some of that out there, but this is an investment that you make in yourself but it needs to be a conscious decision to do that. You have to have the courage to reach out and take care of yourself. We help the help, we're, we're, it's helping the helper. We help everybody. We, in law enforcement, you're always trying to help somebody. You're getting called to their worst day. That's what you're going there for. And what happens, we know stress is not just acute, that it's cumulative and you package it away and you put it in your attic and you leave, but eventually it gets full. And if you've been doing this a long time, it's probably over full if you're not finding a way to offload that. So what we've seen historically, whether it's through choir practice or whether it's through other uh, you know, unhealthy compensatory mechanisms that we find, and we've seen all of them, um, but that's not the way to ensure longevity and success. It's not. Longevity and success is born out of investment and that's taking care of you. If you have a peer support program, use that. If you have a chaplaincy program, use that. And I'm talking to everybody right now because it's not just the individual. If you don't have one in your agency, if you don't have these things in your agency today, today's the day you need to start implementing that because you're going to lose good officers if you don't take care of them, if they don't have programs and resources. And the other thing is it starts from the top down. If you are in an organization where there is pervasive stigma against reaching out for assistance when you need it, people aren't going to reach out for assistance. And you're going to experience some of the things that we talked about. And sadly, you may even experience a suicide in your agency. And there's a tremendous reverberating effect that comes out of a suicide, long lasting collateral damage that takes years, if ever, for an agency to recover from. So before you get to that point, make the investment. 
reach out, reach out to us, reach out to some of the Destination Zero winners. We can even make that connection for you. Take a look at some of the programs around the country. There are amazing programs that aren't even on Destination Zero yet, but they're still applying, so I hope they keep doing that. But we, there are some amazing programs from coast to coast across this country. Start looking into it. And if you want some help on how to find it, reach out to myself or anybody on our team, and we would be absolutely honored to help you out. Because in the end, this really is a huge component of making it safer for those who serve. If you are well as an officer and your agency is well, chances are your community is well. You are, you are best you are best geared to protect your community when you are coming from a good place. And we want to continue, folks, to be coming from that good place. Yeah, great points. It's really encouraging to see more and more agencies standing up uh, these support services, even though it's a great example of a wellness program. Uh, Sheriff Dirksy at Stanislaw County talked about, I think, a 60% per, uh, participation rate. And that's for an outstanding program. Uh, ben Blivens in Wisconsin, Wausau, I believe, uh, he has a, a different spin on the mental health uh, piece that I think is really good. And uh, I want to encourage him to apply for the Destination Zero Award rather than just wait for people. And we know cops are resistant to change, mm -hmm. right? I heard uh, there's two things cops are resistant to. One is change and the other is the way things are. <laughs> and uh, to, to get officers to... Um, try something new, uh, to be suspicious about it, a program, um, and then that fear of the unknown, what's going to happen once I, you know, step through that door. Uh, ben Blivens has a mandatory check-in every year, and officers are required to sit in with a counselor or a therapist, and I don't know how long the sessions are minimally, but uh, I just know from my experience, my anecdotal experience, that in doing an organizational assessment, I will go jump into a radio car with a with a patrol officer, and some will just be friendly and open up. They know I have a law enforcement background, and things are great. Others, very suspicious, won't say a peep, drive around for 10, 15 minutes, not a word from them. And then if I'm there for more than an hour, I can't get out of the car because they can't stop talking about what's going on. So. I think half of the battle is just getting them into the program. And uh, I'd love to see more and, and hear your take on a mandatory um, interview as opposed yeah, to. Uh, I've seen responsive. it. I, I have seen it uh, and actually implemented something uh, when I was the, when I was overseeing our peer support programs for the Connecticut state police. One of the things that we tried to do for a couple, a couple of units specifically one of them being our tactical team, and another one uh, is our computer crimes, which essentially is investigating right some of the worst cases that you can imagine um, through the computers. And one of the things that we did was we set up a time um, for the, these officers, but we, we didn't want to know their names or anything. We allowed their supervisor to set this up. But basically what it was was a rotating 
one hour every week on a Friday from one to two with this culturally competent clinician, left it up to the supervisor. There was no information that came back to us other than somebody was actually coming in and they would rotate folks through. So essentially you'd get a chance to get in there a few times a year and have an opportunity. Now, whether you went in and talked about how the New York Mets can't win a World Series or whether you went in and talked about your worst day, at least it gave them a baseline. And what it did was reduce that, you know, demystified what it was like to sit in with a clinician, because I think some officers may think that it's something that it's not. So really gave them an opportunity to see it. Sometimes you'll, you'll get pushback from collective bargaining units. If you happen to be in an area where, um, you know, it isn't a right to work state. I know that some collective bargaining units, if, if it's not properly explained, because it, it, it can't be punitive, right? So if an officer goes in there, you're not going to get them to talk if it's mandatory. You're not going to get them to talk about something um, if they fear that there's going to be a fitness for duty evaluation or if they fear that there's going to be information exchanged back to the agency. So they need to every extent that we can offer that confidentiality. Now, we also understand mandated reporter statutes and that sort of thing around the nation. Uh, they may vary from, from uh, jurisdiction to jurisdiction, but it, the concept is the same. Um, I love the idea of being able to bring people in on a yearly basis for all the reasons that we discussed, right? It's, it really gives you that perfect baseline. And then of course, if you stay with this clinician down the road, as things change in your personal and professional life, um, they can kind of bring you back and say, well, you know, a couple of years ago you were here and it seems like you're in a different place. So maybe we should address some stuff. I think it also opens the door to other modalities that might be on, out there. So, for example, if you're talking with a clinician and maybe you've been confronted with a, a post-traumatic stress injury, um, maybe we can talk about things like EMDR. And, they, and, and now you're getting the information about eye movement desensitization or reprocessing explained to you from a clinician who may or may not be trained in that modality, but understands it from the brain science perspective and can really kind of bring you in and, and bridge that gap to getting the help that you need. So I think that any mandatory program like this, I think it's great. I just think I'm able to look at it from, from different sides. And part of that is just educating. So if your collective bargaining unit is pushing back if your agency is requesting information, that can't happen. You can't have that because then nobody will attend. And if you do, it's going to be very similar to your, your story about sitting with the officer that said nothing. That's what that hour would look like. So if you want to, if you want a hostage for an hour, I suppose <laughs> you just got one, but that's not what we're looking for. What we're looking to do is the officers need to know that this is for them. The officers need to know this is this is our way of trying to help you. This isn't our way to to fish out information, right? Because in law enforcement, you're right. They are change adverse. I agree to that. But there's also another piece to this where there are there is no other organization, uh, no other vocation that has the um, the ability to create rumors and innuendos and right from this vacuum of a lack of information. Officers want knowledge. They need to understand everything. That's the way that we're trained. You want every bit of information. As an organization who may be implementing one of these mandatory programs, it's incumbent upon you to give them all the information up front. Don't leave things out between the lines. Give them everything up front so they can make an assessment of that and, and answer their questions and be honest and transparent about that. Because And then once, once you start to see the successes, Officers will talk to each other, don't they? 
Yes, they do. And they're going to say, you're not going to believe this. I went in, I talked about an issue that I'm having with my significant other. And now we're in couples counseling and this, everything's much better. So they're going to tell their friends and their friends are going to say, I want, I want that too. I'm going through that. Or I know somebody who is. So the next thing you know, you've now created a culture within your own agency that you're practicing self-care and, and that definitely needs to come down from the top. Whoever's running that organization needs to stand behind it. If you have a collective bargaining unit, they need to get behind it. If you have another police support organization, they need to be in. Very important. Yeah, 100% with you. Hey, respectful of your time. Thanks so much for spending time with us. Tell us, uh, let's wrap it up with telling us about the National Police Week and the Candlelight Vigil. I've attended. It is moving if you know anybody on the wall, or even if you don't, it it, it really hits home. Uh, it's coming soon in May. Uh, how can law enforcement, uh, law enforcement and their supporters, their families, how can they participate in Police Week, even if they're not in D.C.? Well, historically, we usually there is a, a Police Week app that is released, but in the absence of that, so far, you can go to the NLEOMF website. And you'll see there's a calendar of events that that happened that day, uh, that happened that week rather. Um, so starting on May 11th is really when you're going to make note of, of things happening in and around DC. But the uh, the Canine uh, Police Memorial happens on the 11th. On the 12th, the Police Unity Tour rides in at the memorial. And there's a, a beautiful little ceremony that happens. If if you haven't seen the Police Unity Tour ride in, you really need to be a part of that. Um, I hadn't seen it up until a few years ago, and really just an amazing experience. The amount of riders that are coming in that have ridden so far, um, all riding for somebody who died. So it's a, it's really a beautiful service. I'd encourage you to go to that. That evening, we have a sort of, um, uh, there's a, there's a cer- not a ceremony, we'll call it a reception that happens in the museum. And that's really for the honor guard for the police unity tour folks and for our law enforcement ambassadors within our organization. So we have that event, of course, on the 13th is the candlelight vigil um, that happens in the evening. We have a bunch of information on the, on the website as well as maps and where, how you could transport in and out, where to park, that sort of thing. It is an absolutely beautiful moving uh, experience. I think for a lot of folks who have never been to it, it's tough to put that into words. How do you, how do you describe what that looks like? Um, and it's not just what you're seeing. It's the experience of people coming together to honor those fallen. Um, and not just from this past year, but there's historical fallen that are also included. Uh, it's, it's a great opportunity for law enforcement folks to support each other, to support the families. And really, for a lot of people, I think that's where the healing begins, both going to that vigil and spending some time at the wall and being present during the week. So many good things come from that. Um, and then on the 14th is the Emerald Society March. On the 15th, and I put a couple of notes here because there's no way I would remember all of this. Um, the, uh, it, which is a, uh, on the 15th is the annual National Peace Officers Reflaying Ceremony, which is on the grounds of the Capitol, which is followed by Stand Watch for the Fallen. Uh, that's where honor guards from all over the nation come in in groups and they stand by the wreaths that are at the memorial from noon until midnight. Um, very ceremonial, very, uh, very honorable. And uh, it, it's an amazing week. And it, that's just a taste of some of the things that are happening that week. There's so much, uh, so many things, so many events. Um, but, you know, it's like the lottery. You can't win if you don't play. So head to D.C. and spend some time with us. The other thing I tell you is that 
um, the museum will be open from the 9th to the 20th. It's going to be open all the time. So during the day, come in and see that and, and really experience what's happening at the National Law Enforcement uh, Museum, just a beautiful museum and a, and a terrific experience. So we'd love to have you. And, and if you want to support us in the work that we're doing to support law enforcement around the country, you can always go to nleomf.org. Take a look at our website. And if you want to support us through that, we would be uh, happy to help you with that for sure. Yeah. And we've listed the link in the show notes. You can go there and click on it and uh, go right to the NLEOMF um, website. And you can find some of the things that we missed in March on nutrition and sleeping and wellness in particular. Uh, hey, thanks so much for spending time with us, Troy Anderson. Um, Appreciate all the all the info that you provided today. Thanks so much, Jim. Hey, and to our listeners, uh, let me know what you think. I hope you found today's program interesting and definitely click on the link, check it out, uh, the National Law Enforcement Officers Memorial and Fund and the activities that are coming up in May. And if you missed it this year, you missed the March Wellness Program. Hey, it happens every year. Check them out next year. Let me know what you think. Drop me an email at policingmatters at police1.com, policingmatters at police1.com. Check out our videos on Police One, and uh, you can find them on YouTube as well under Policing Matters. All right, stay safe out there, and hope to talk to you again real soon. Take good care. Thank you.